This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Hello, very good afternoon to you on this uh, Wednesday afternoon. Great to have you along. Between now and the news at one, more than 50 agricultural lobby groups have signed a letter to the federal government calling for an immediate and urgent reversal of a proposed biosecurity tax. We'll get to that before the news headlines at half past 12 today. And then a little later in the hour, a southwest potato processing company is hoping to expand production and double its market share after receiving $2 million funding from the WA government. Five past 12 here on the Country Hour. We'll kick off today with the news that the National Livestock Manager of one of Australia's largest sheep processors is shopping around Western Australia and could end up buying as many as 70,000 head of mostly mutton and some feeder lambs. Paul Leonard is from South Australian-based company Thomas Foods, which has abattoirs in South Australia, New South Wales and Victoria, processing about 120,000 head of small stock every week. He's been in WA for a couple of weeks now and has already purchased 40,000 head of sheep and he plans to return next week and the week after to look for some more. Paul, where are you today? Well, to tanning today, uh, I've been, well, I guess, all over the state, Melinda, over the last you know, fortnight, but uh, yeah, down in the, do you call it the southwest or the southern? Yeah. And what have you got your eye on today? Oh, look, mainly mutton, Belinda. Um, I guess 90% of the trip's been mutton and to, to a lesser degree, some feed lambs. Uh, you know, I think it's probably a little bit premature on the merino lambs, but I think over the next. I'm back next week and possibly the week after we'll start to see a few more of those lambs shorn. Um, so, yeah, no, looking forward to it. And what was the motivation for the trip this time? Well, look, really, we, we were approached by the uh, by the agents over in the West really a month ago, um, expressing their concerns around lack of kill space, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, look, we're not in a desperate position uh, at this stage in the East, if you like. We're still traditionally in our sheep selling season as well coming out of the summer um, but traditionally it's more you know when we get closer to the uh, autumn <coughs> Easter onwards that things tend to tighten but you know we've got three or four uh, abattoirs in in the east so I was able to uh, you know manipulate to move some some sheep into some of our other facilities that traditionally would have gone to our Lobethal abattoir in South Australia near Adelaide and create a bit of space um, so that's sort of how it all happened and um I guess one thing led to another and, you know, what I guess initially started as, you know, might by 10 or 15 or 20,000, it's sort of moved on from there and there's more and more stock come on. So I end up staying for a fortnight. I'll go home Friday night and I'm back again Monday, just uh, obviously with the way the weather and that is and the uh, the stock is still running. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that was basically the background, Belinda. So what sort of numbers have you purchased up until this point? Oh, look, it might be 40,000 or something so far, Belinda. Yeah. Um, and look, look, really, I started, you know, out in the, in the, in the sort of Esperance area and worked my way right up through the north and across the, the, the mid-north, I guess, the top, and then back down through the centre and really just started in the southwest or the southern area only the last couple of days. So, obviously, there's a lot of stock down this area as well. So, 
but having spoken to the agents, there's more stock in, in those other areas that, that are still coming forward. So, you know, I basically said I'll just keep coming until such time that they're in a position where obviously they can move them locally again. And whether that's a week or two or three or four, we'll, uh, we'll try, and, uh, try and help out. So by the time this trip sort of finishes, because as you said, you're coming back in next yep. week. So what sort of numbers might be leaving Western Australia all up at the end of this Well, look, trip? it's... It's hard to know, isn't it? But uh, look, I think it's not unreasonable to probably expect to buy you know, fifteen or twenty thousand a week easily. Um, but look, at the same time, Belinda, I can only handle so many, and it's a matter of I don't really want to get more than a fortnight in front, obviously, and the growers don't want to be more than a fortnight in front from a trucking perspective. So, look, it may well be that at some point, if they continue to run that, that you know, stay away for a week or ten days and come back. Um, when you can sort of truck them again within a week or 10 days. So, you know, obviously when we first started, we were able to start trucking the stock fairly well straight away. Um, but at the moment, we're out to a two-week lift. Um, and so I don't want to get past that. But obviously when I come back next week, well, there's another week gone. So you're probably still a fortnight, but, uh, you know, another week's gone through the through the system. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't want to get any further than that. I don't want to get suits people to be further further out than that either. No, but just going on the figures you've just given me, what are we looking at, sort of 70,000 head? Oh, look, that is possible, I guess. Belinda, over the next two weeks, I guess, if the, if the numbers were to continue that I'm buying to uh, come forward. Uh, but that's, you know, it, it, may, it may tighten up too, Belinda, or people. I'm just not sure how many, you know, seasonality-wise, how many sheep are out in front there or where people are. But that, that would sort of be a fair indication, I think, of, you know, between what I've bought and, and, and the indication of what, what is still to be offered over the next week or 10 days, I think be somewhere around there would be, be a fair fair assumption, yes. And what's the quality like? Look, it's been very good. Look, we, we're not wanting to uh, get right down into the lighter, lighter sheep. Belinda, it's, uh, you know, freight's obviously very significant to go over there, so it's very difficult to put freight on lighter sheep. But I've been buying the medium to better sheep. And, uh, look, I've been pleasantly surprised just on the condition of the sheep when you look look at the country uh, and what the season's been doing. But no, I thought the sheep have been very good. We've been very, very happy. And what are the prices like? What are you paying? Well, look, they're not outstanding. Uh, I've got to say that given the, the freight. But understanding we've got a freight, you know, a taxi fare, if you want to call it, probably 30 to $35 a head. So I guess you're behind that before you start. Um, but look, depending on the quality of the sheep, look, I've basically bought sheep from, Twenty to fifty dollars, right? So, on farm, but understanding, I've got to put thirty to forty dollars on top of those to get them home. So um, that's unfortunate, but that's just the reality of of, of what the costs are to cart stock and the distance that we need to go. Uh, having said that, uh, Lobethal uh, is the closest, you know, export processing facility to Western Australia, and you know, it's pretty hard to go. You know, as I said, we have you know facilities in New South Wales and Victoria, but it's very difficult to put much more freight than that on them. It just becomes inequitable. So we're probably a little bit lucky that we can can at least get into Adelaide, but it's it's almost the end of the line with with costs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What what sort of reaction are you getting from the farmers as you sort of travel around and and take a look at what's on offer? They're they're happy to sort of offload these sheep. I'm imagining. Not enough happy is the word. Um, Look, and I think to be fair, I think that obviously it's difficult when you, 
you know, when you look back over the, you know, I was over here two or three years ago and you're paying 120 and 50 dollars for similar type sheep or 100 to 150. So obviously there's been a significant correction right across Australia on commodity. And also lamb, but we're starting to see a significant pickup in lamb prices in the east, and we are starting to see a strengthening in mutton. But I guess the issue with mutton in particular, it's a commodity, and uh, to some level, I guess the fact that you know mutton have been, you know, considerably cheaper over here than the east, and then we got to compete against that on the selling side of the business. So that mutton from Western Australia is going into the global market, obviously, it, you know cheaper than what it is in the eastern states so that that's a sort of double whammy where you're trying to compete so look i think just for the, the whole industry um the sooner we can clean up this excess of mutton that's been driven by the dry conditions and get back to normal trading conditions and more, more on a level playing field i think it'd be good for the export market as well and the, the issue at the moment on the global market is there's an excess supply of you know mutton and and being a commodity, it, it becomes almost a race to the bottom. So the only way we're going to fix that is to sort of shorten the supply of um, meat up to our global customers. And, uh, you know, our mutton kill, I think, from memory, certainly eastern states, and may include Australia's 31% up year on year, um, has been processed. So that's a good sign that there's a lot of, there's more have been processed than the previous year. So the certain industry is working through it. And, you know, you've got a declining flock uh, again as, as we come back into these dry seasons and lower commodity prices. So I think, you know, to, if you throw a crystal ball more medium to long term, you'd expect that you would sort of think that, you know, next year mutton, you know, could be in sort of shorter supply. And, and, and hopefully as a result of that, we can drive the, the global market up and, you know, hopefully mutton can get back to somewhere between perhaps where they were at the peak and perhaps where they are now. This is the Country Hour. It is a quarter past 12. And today, catching up with Paul Leonard, the National Livestock Manager with South Australian-based company Thomas Foods. It's one of the country's big sheep processors with abattoirs in South Australia, New South Wales and Victoria. Now, as Paul was just telling you, he's already purchased 40,000 head mostly mutton and also some feeder lambs, and he could end up buying as much as 70,000 head of WA sheep. Paul, what is the story over east? Because here in WA, as you've seen for yourself, there's a real need for rain, but there has been rain in the east. Where has it fallen? And where is it really starting to make a difference in the marketplace? Yes, look, really right over the whole, you know, South Australia, Victoria is very good. You know, Queensland's certainly had some significant rain and, and New South Wales, as a general sense, is very good too. So, you know, what we are seeing now is people, which is good, retaining sheep that they may have been selling just through dry conditions. So, look, in a general sense, we're, we're, we're having an excellent seasonal break, which really only started four or six weeks ago and continues to rain today. So, you know, the key, obviously... And most people understand in the eastern states, summer rain's good, but you really want that that autumn rain to really fatten stock and give people, you know, confidence. So this rain will certainly keep stock in good condition and hold them through. But the key will be to try and get a March April rain, and if we get a general March April rain, we get that winter herbage and the capacity to fatten stock and and really uh, get, you know, we're having terrific lambings over there. So look. Yeah, the eastern states, I think, have turned the corner 100%. Um, we're starting to see some restocker activity, 
it's probably not as buoyant yet as one would have expected. But as I said, there's been a lot of confidence gone out of the industry, you know, whether it's, you know, sheep, lambs, cattle. You know, it's been a difficult 12 months for producers and, you know, we just saw a global correction for all, you know, all to, you know beef, goats, lambs, sheep. But I think we've seen, what well, I don't think, I'm sure we've seen the bottom of that. It's on the way up. So, you know, it doesn't take much to get a little bit of confidence going. And I think once that happens, and we're starting to see that, there's fairly strong demand now for feeder lambs, uh, both in, in the east and certainly from the west, um, for people that have, now that the uh, lamb prices have risen significantly, they're, they're in, you know, enticed to feed them. And they can see the benefits of that. So, yeah, look, we've seen the bottom. I think it's all blue sky for me. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, some follow-up rain in the um, in the Easter time and certainly make a big difference. And I think, you know, that the job could really, really take off. Now, a few years back, it was about a million head of WA sheep headed over to the eastern states. Do you see that happening again as a result no. of the rain there? No? No, I don't. No. And, and, I mean, really, what happened then, we were coming out of a five and six and seven year drought and that was really a significant restocker program and a lot of people are very happy with the WA stock but they've bred their own way back in to the job now if you like so we're not seeing that demand for you know years in lamb or to join use from that perspective but there may be some consideration around you know good big merino used to join to crossbreds or something like that to a terminal sire <clears throat> but for a merino breeding um, operation most people are would be fully stocked in the eastern states now, so which is a good thing. So yes, I, and I, look, I certainly don't think those numbers would even be available over here after the massive clean-out that you had. Firstly, but no, secondly, it's really only processing stock in a general sense currently that are that are heading west to east, and I'd say, and obviously that the traditional feeder lambs, the cater feed lots or into some pastures. But I don't think you're seeing much movement at all from a breeding value perspective. What about the size of the Australian sheep flock, Paul? What what do you make of that? Because the, the latest um, Meat and Livestock Australia figures, I think the, that we're sitting at around 78 million head for yep. the flock and the projection for this year is reaching 79.2 million. I think it's by the middle of the year. Mm. How do you assess where that's at? Is that sustainable? Yeah. Where's it going to go? Yeah, I don't think that we're we're in an upward trajectory still now. I think you start. We've seen. Look, there's been a lot of stock sold in the east also over the last six months through the dry seasons, and obviously lower commodity prices. You've got people, unfortunately, but you can understand going more into farming. So I would think that your flocks peaked without a doubt, and I'd say that your national flock, if anything, would certainly have been on the decline just with the amount of stock that have been moved. As I said, when you look at your mutton kill up 31% year on year. That says it all. So I, I, I'd suggest that your flock's on the way back <coughs> currently. To, now, to about where? Is, would you, would you oh, well, put a number on it? it? It's very, well, no, it's hard to, you know, but as you said, if it peaked at 78, now you only got to go back um, eight or nine years and we're at, a, you know, maybe a decade and we got to a low of what, about 66 from memory. But I think anything around 75 or above is, you know, with the current processing capacity, uh, in Australia is probably about the, the, where you need to be, at least 75. So, you know, for 78, does it hold? Does it come back to 76 or 7? I'm not sure, but I've got no doubt that, the, you know, there's been a lot of stock have been processed and people have got out of sheep 
unfortunately, on the back of what this major correction the last six or 12 months. And look, it's unfortunate. A lot of people paid really good money three years ago when that drought broke to get into breeding ewes. And obviously, the job was very buoyant. The land market was very strong. The mutton job was extremely strong at the time. And then we've seen this this correction that I don't think anyone saw coming. Uh, you know, as a sort of almost a global recession, if you like, on that. It, it came down to affordability for people globally on what they'd pay for, lamb and mutton and beef and the rest of it. And, uh, and, and consequently, we saw this really severe correction. So I think a lot of people will be tentative in what they do pay if they are buying breeding stock to go back in on the back of that. And so for those reasons and with the dry conditions that we had, I, I think the flock would be in decline. Having said that, yes, we've had a significant break across the eastern states just recently. So I think the question to that will be if, once again, if we get an Easter rain onwards and we can frank the season, if you like, and people know they're going to have good feed right through till, you know, really the spring, well, you know, the, you may start to see an increase in the flock again then. But I think there'll definitely be a dip. Well, you've had a, a chance to have a good look around Western Australia. What do you make of yeah. the seasonal conditions that you're seeing? Well, it's very, very consistent. I'll say that. It's dry everywhere, unfortunately. And look, and I appreciate it. It's that time of the year. It's the summer and everybody's harvested and, uh, you know, it's all the stubbles. But look, the, the wind, you know, I can't, I can't get over the, the last week. It just hasn't stopped blowing, you know, really from daylight till dark. So, you know, that can't be any good for the country and drawing out what moisture is being retained won't last long. But as I said, I think the stock look outstanding considering when you look at what the, how the country looks. So let's hope WA gets an early break, a late February or March break and, and, and can and, you know can come into a to a good general break in the season and get back on its feet from a livestock perspective. Paul, great to talk to you. Thank you. My pleasure. Paul Leonard, he is the national livestock manager with South Australian-based company Thomas Foods. It's one of Australia's largest family-owned food businesses. And Paul's been in Western Australia buying up big. By the end of the visit, he should have purchased around about seventy thousand head of mostly WA mutton and some feeder lambs. 23 past 12. Well, just before the news at one, you'll find out how the sheep were selling at the Catanning Market today. But right now, let's make our way to a sale yard in Victoria where prices were up yesterday by about 50% on a month ago. Fiona Broom reports from the first sheep sale of the year at sale in eastern Victoria. Hey, anyway, let's get down to business there. Hey, good pen of lambs up, though. There you go. Set your money for them. Today was 188. To, and I got 80 then. 80 got. 80 out. 80 over. Hit 180. 180 right off the bat at the lamb sales here at the Gippsland Regional Livestock Exchange, it's clear prices have taken a major turn on last year's record lows. There's about 1,200 lambs on offer from those heavy lambs that you just heard there through to trade and light lambs plus a handful of mutton. And producers who were selling or just listening in say the results are a little unexpected, but they're certainly welcome after last year. I can wish you all the best for 2024. Righto, there you are. Pride of place, the Collins lambs out of Woodside, ladies and gentlemen. They roll along in a few pens and singles, ladies and gentlemen. As we get a little bit lighter, they start to pen them all together. There you go. Good pen of lambs, aren't they? Fair bit of weight there too. Set your money mark. I'm going for them. 170, 70, 65 or 60. Got out of it. 161, 2, 3, 4. Gone now. 5, 6, 7, 8. Here with me. 68, the money you're going now. 69, 70. 1, 72. 
Here's livestock manager Morgan Davies. Yeah, no, first sale back. Um, very, very positive result. We all know it's been trending a little bit dearer, but it's bouncing off a pretty substantial low. Uh, so to get some sort of more value for your lambs, it's certainly, certainly uh, very pleasing. Heading in the right direction anyway. What kind of prices were we getting today? Look, let's go pre-Christmas. Pre-Christmas, a lot of lambs selling, you know, carcass weight, $5. It was hard to get more than 120 for a heavy lamb, 120 130 in Gippsland. Um, with $5 a kilo to five fifty, being about the range, uh, we get past Christmas and, um, you know, now we're seeing lambs making $7 to seven forty or $50, um, which is certainly a, it's a good result from where we were, for sure. Yeah, certainly six months ago we were having a chat at Bansdale and I think prices were low as sort of $40 a head or something around that time. Yeah, it wasn't very exhilarating. But no, it's certainly changed and it's just classic supply and demand um, when the spring runs. Uh, with lambs, a lot of lambs come all at once and everything starts to slow down. Um, everyone's, there's still, you know, a lot of uh, requirement for lamb. It's just there's less of them to buy in the marketplace. So it's certainly um, trending dearer, which is good. But we're coming off a very big low. I probably want to emphasise that. It was pretty tough going for a lot of cockies uh, through most of last year anyway. Is it a case now that the prices have come good or is it more that just the, they're just better than they were last year? Uh, the requirement for lambs, um, a, a massive sell-off of stock. It did get pretty dry in various parts of Australia uh, middle of last year, East Gippsland being one of those places. But it certainly was it was dry. Uh, it didn't help when there was massive promotion um, of an El Nino, which probably hasn't necessarily occurred, which played into a lot of uh, the meat works and processors' hands, really. So certainly, um, I think, the unease about the weather... Uh, flooded the market with lambs um, at very innocuous times for those lambs to be absorbed. So they, it got hard to sell them, yeah. Yeah, there was certainly a lot of chat here amongst the farmers while the sale was going on that the rain came as a surprise and that perhaps they wouldn't have made as many sales last year if if they'd known the rain was coming. Yeah, it's a classic example of um, what you don't know, you don't know. I think, you know, we can blame various things, but, yeah, I, I, I think with a solid season, it usually helps really everything including uh, mental mental health as well. Do you expect this trend to sort of continue over the next weeks, months? Yeah, well, yeah, we do. I think there'll be a hiccup along the way. You know, a lot of lambs will come at one one big rush again at some stage. Usually that happens, occurs in about February. Whether or not that does this year, I know there wasn't a lot of lambs returned to the uh, borders feed, feeding lambs to run on for contracts into the middle of the year. So I do think that there probably will be a shorter supply of lambs. So that should indicate that the price uh, will stay like this or might even get a little bit brighter. Elders Livestock Manager Morgan Davies speaking to Fiona Broom. 27 past 12. You're part of the Country Hour with Belinda Varasgetti on ABC Local Radio WA. We'll check the news headlines shortly. First, though, more than 50 agricultural lobby groups have signed a letter to the federal government calling for an immediate and urgent reversal of a proposed biosecurity tax. In last year's budget, the Prime Minister announced the 10% biosecurity levy on industry to be imposed from the 1st of July this year. A joint letter to Anthony Albanese signed by groups across farm commodities has called for the tax to be scrapped, calling it fundamentally flawed and grossly unfair. Grain Producers CEO Colin Bettles says farmers already pay through the nose for biosecurity. 
we already pay enough in existing levies and we think the government uh, has got this policy wrong. It's extremely flawed and there's a lot of inequity to it. So we've got 50 different producer groups from across the spectrum of, of the sector or different sectors, livestock, seafood, forestry, horticulture and obviously grains. We've co-signed a joint letter to the Prime Minister and we've included the Ag Minister, Murray Watt, and also the Treasurer. Um, and we're asking them to reverse this decision and farmers are also doing it tough at the moment as well with the coverage on the cost of uh, living and the supermarket prices. From the government's point of view, it's a user pays. I think that uh, uh, the farm sector is the one that's going to benefit from a stronger, well-funded biosecurity outfit. Uh, What's your response to that view? Saying that producers are beneficiaries, but we know there's a lot of people, for example, in grain production, all the way through to the consumer, say someone paying $15 for a pint of beer in Sydney, who are also beneficiaries. So there's no economic modelling, and that's what our letter has requested of the Treasurer as well. And uh, to say that farmers are the only beneficiaries of a strong biosecurity system is disingenuous. I mean, the national economy benefits from grain production, and if we get something like capra beetle, well, no one will be collecting any levies. Farmers have emergency, uh, or grains in particular, we have emergency levies. And so there's no economic modelling to really test that. And Productivity Commission report was released for Christmas. Uh, said it was a tax and that levies are an inefficient form of revenue collection for the government. Right, okay. And uh, there's also been some push to try and get the shipping industry to pay something. Is that part of the model or or that's been left out and that's something that could be added in to maybe reduce the cost to farmers? Well, that's been in the pipeline with successive governments for six years and and we've seen nothing. So So it's not not part of this model now? No, it was part of the sustainable funding model that was announced in last year's budget, but it hasn't been delivered. What producers have been asking for is for the risk creators to make a contribution to shared responsibility and accountability. They bring these risks in, but they don't pay emergency levies for the ongoing um, eradication and management of biosecurity once we get it, like we have seen with Varroa. Colin Bettles. He's the CEO of Grain Producers Australia and he was speaking to Michael Condon. 29 to 1. Let's get an update from the newsroom with Helen Core. Good afternoon, Belinda. A Supreme Court judge has acquitted a 30-year-old man of attempted murder at a Perth backpacker hostel on the grounds of insanity. In September 2021, Likat Ali Zahidi used a butcher's knife to repeatedly stab a 27-year-old man in the kitchen of the East Perth hostel. Today, Justice Natalie Whitby ruled he should not be held criminally responsible for the stabbing because the mental illness deprived him of the capacity to control his actions. More than 20,000 homes and businesses across WA's wheat belt remain without power, with some unable to call emergency services after a severe storm hit the region yesterday. Residents in the area have reported having problems accessing internet and phone coverage due to the widespread power outage. Telstra says it's working urgently with Western Power to restore services. And the West Coast Eagles have suffered another injury blow ahead of the upcoming AFL season with star midfielder Tim Kelly suffering a hamstring strain. The reigning club champion will miss two to three weeks of training as a result and is expected to be back on the track in early February. More news at one. Thank you so much, Helen. 28 to one here on the Country Hour. Still to come, it's off to Katanning just before the news at one o'clock. And the yarding... Well, numbers were down at Katanning today, so just under 6,000 head yarded, down from about 2,500 last week. Tracy Kilner going into that 
market in a little more detail for you. And also taking a look at some of these grants being handed out today, state government grants to the tune of $10 million awarded to 11 businesses in the southwest of the state. And this is all part of the government's transition away from native forestry. We'll get to that shortly. First, it is off to the Bureau of Meteorology to get an update from Luke Huntington. Luke, let's start in the southwest land division where that thunderstorm activity continues today. Yeah, that's right, Belinda. So um, we do have the trough um, lingering just through the inland parts of the West Coast today. So the the focus of thunderstorms today will be around that central wheat belt, um, the Great Southern, and down towards the South Coast, so sort of into the um, region between uh, Windy Harbour across to Bremer Bay there. So um, in that area, uh, we could see severe thunderstorms formed during this afternoon and into the evening. Um, and some places uh, may get some damaging wind gusts, uh, heavy rainfall and large hail. Uh, the heavy rainfall and large hail is most likely over the southern parts of the wheat belt and right throughout the Great Southern and down towards the south coast there. So likely we'll be issuing some severe thunderstorm warnings um, this afternoon. So just watch out for those. Um, We could see in that heavy rainfall area, we could see, um, yeah, sort of 30 millimetres over a very, very short period of time. So there could be some local flash flooding uh, if that were to occur. Um, And then it'll, uh, as I said, continue into uh, this evening. So um, heading into uh, tomorrow over the south, um, the trough is going to move a little bit further east. So the focus of those uh, thunderstorms moves east along with it, with the trough. So uh, basically over the wheat belt still, over the eastern parts of the Great Southern, um, east of Albany, that's where we're expecting the boundary of thunderstorms tomorrow. Um, In terms of severity, over the eastern parts of the wheat belt, um, over the far eastern Great Southern, we could still see further severe thunderstorms uh, tomorrow, but um, the likely... Uh, phenomena in that region would be damaging wind gusts, less likely for heavy rainfall or uh, large hail. Um, and that, those thunderstorms will most likely kick off uh, during the afternoon and continuing through the afternoon period again. Um, but with that trough through the through the inland parts, we will see a much cooler uh, day on, on Thursday about western parts of the southwest land division. So temperatures dropping back to the sort of the mid to high 20s along the west coast and particularly through the southwestern um, parts of the of the Great Southern and Wheat Belt, they'll drop back to the low 30s. So getting rid of those high 30 degree temperatures into the 40s, um, they'll contract further eastwards. And then on Friday, we don't actually have any thunderstorms uh, forecast for southern parts of the state. The trough is going to be out into the eastern goldfields interior, So um, and we'll have a cooler southwesterly flow over the southwest land division, um, just as a weak ridge um, redevelops south of the state. So um, it's really just today and tomorrow with those thunderstorm activities and heading into uh, the weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday, we're not expecting any significant weather for southern parts of the state of the Southwest Land Division. Certainly no thunderstorms um, with no real um, defined trough developing in that region. So just today and tomorrow is the, is the main watch points. Thanks for that, Luke. Now let's have a look into northern and eastern parts of the state. How is it this afternoon and over the next few days? Yeah, so we um, had some sort of moderate heavy falls over the Kimberley region. So um, we've had about between sort of 50 and 80 millimetres in some areas. That was towards the eastern parts 
of the Kimberley area, but over the remaining parts of the Kimberley, we are expect, uh, receiving falls around the 10 to 20 millimetres, with some places getting isolated falls up to 30 millimetres. And that's um, going to continue for today as well, that those sort of heavier falls will be in the far eastern Kimberley. Um, we do have a, a tropical low just across the border in, in Northern Territory, so that's just whipping up some bands of showers and thunderstorms through that area. Um, that tropical low of the NT does remain pretty stationary over the next few days, so we'll continue to see those heavy shower bands um, go uh, past those that past that eastern Kimberley region. So um, we're going to see multiple days of between sort of that 20 to 40 millimetres isolated falls to 50 to 80 millimetres over that uh, eastern Kimberley area. So like Wyndham, Kununurra, uh, Holes Creek, that type of area, and then throughout the remainder of the Kimberley around that. 10 to 20 millimetres, isolated 30 millimetres. Um, and then over the weekend, uh, there is a bit of uncertainty what happens with that low of the NT. Uh, there are, the, some models are suggesting that that low actually m may move westwards um, into the Kimberley sort of um, in, in, on Sunday. Um, if that were to happen, uh, we could see some heavy falls um, extending from uh, the NTWA border right across into the uh, central parts of the Kimberley on Sunday as that low moves into WA. So can't really speak on rainfall at this stage on Sunday, but if that were to occur, um, yeah, as I said, we could, could see some heavy falls um, starting to get into that area and possibly um, where it's been very dry throughout um, the western Kimberley next week, there is a possibility of that low moving into that region, creating some heavy falls. So the Broome area has been very dry, as I understand, so um, there is some potential of getting some rainfall uh, next week for that area. Um, but throughout the remainder of the north of the state, uh, we are expecting thunderstorms right throughout the Pilbara, uh, the Gas inland Gascoyne region and down into the gold fields. Uh, but those areas will probably receive less rainfall, only around um, sort of one to five millimetres uh, with any thunderstorms. Yeah, well, fingers crossed some of that rain does uh, make its way to the West Kimberley. I know a lot of stations in that part really desperate for a drop or two. So uh, let's recap with the warnings for this afternoon. Yeah, so um, we don't have any uh, severe thunderstorms warning as current, but as I mentioned, um, we most likely will this afternoon. Um, we do have a continuing uh, heatwave warning out at the moment. Um, and we do have a um, tropical cyclone, Angrek, near uh, just northwest of Cocos Islands at the moment, but uh, that cyclone is going to be remain well to the west of Cocos, so we're not going to see too many impacts um, on Cocos itself, just a little bit. A little bit of windy and rain, rainfall will start to increase over the next couple of days, but the main impacts will be um, well to the west of the island. Um, we do have a fire weather warning for the Burrup and Ashburton Coast fire weather districts and some wind warnings out as well. Thank you so much, Luke. 21 to 1 here on the Country Hour. Let's check the rainfall figures now. This is a look back over the last 24 hours to 9 o'clock this morning and checking 5 mils and over. Starting in northern and eastern forecast districts in the Kimberley, Bedford Downs Airstrip 67, Charnley River 11, Diggers Rest 21, Drysdale River Station 5, Elquestro 17, Allenbray 43, Emma Gorge 29, Fitzroy Crossing Aero 28. Gibb River 10, Horse Creek Airport 21, Kachana 38, Kingston Rest 18, Kununurra Aero had 27, Lake Argyle Resort 54, Lansdowne 32, Leopold Down 6, Marion Downs 10, Mullabulla Airstrip 12, Mount Amherst 49, Mount Barnett 16, Mount House Airstrip 8, Mount Krause 6, 
Mount Winifred, 39. Old Mornington Homestead, 25. Siddons Creek, 17. Wyndham Arrow, 38. And Yalmbu, 13. In the Gascoigne, Payne's Find, 14. And Three Rivers, 12. Moving to the Southwest Land Division. In the Lower West, Bickley, 35. Bogart Bin, 10. Dwelling Up, 36. Skidiganup, 10. Glen Eagle, 15. Lake Chittering, 29. Minston, 9. Mount Solis, 7. Watening, 6. Moving to the southwest, Collie East, 6. Mount William, 20. And in the central wheat belt, Amory Acres, 5. Ardith, 17. Kelgi, 6. Cunderdon Airfield, 18. Doodlekind, 5. Grabble, 25. Happy Valley, 9. Calabaran North, 10. Long Forest, 23. Meckering North, 11. Meriden, 11. Mount Noddy, 5. Northam, 10. Quadney, 10. Querading, 5. Shackleton, 5. And Southern Cross Airfield, 13. And in the Great Southern, Brookton 9, Brookton Deepherd 8, Bully 24, Coondi 7, Corrigan 5, Culford 8, Quida Deepherd 13, Narragin Aero at the Deepherd Station 6, Pingerley 5, Wandering 10, Wickerpen South 7, and Wilgarra had 5. ABC Radio, Fire Ban Information. Due to the risk of fires, a total fire ban has been issued for today, Wednesday the 17th of January for the Pilbara region. It affects the local government areas of Ashburton and Caratha. The fire bans are in place all day and you must not light, maintain or use a fire in the open air or carry out any activity that could start a fire, including lighting fires for cooking or camping or hot works such as grinding and welding. Remember, it is your responsibility to check with your local government if there's also a harvest and vehicle movement ban imposed. At this stage, the shires of Cranbrook, Narragin and Wickerpen have imposed vehicle movement bans. Now that means you can't use off-road vehicles even for agriculture or industry. For total fire bans, there's a map of the affected areas at the Emergency WA website and more about the do's and the don'ts during a total fire ban at the DFES website. Just repeating, there is a total fire ban today for Ashburton and Caratha. 17 to 1. You're with Belinda Varasgetti on the Country Hour on ABC Local Radio WA. We check the sheep prices at Catanning just before news at one. First, though, a Southwest potato processing company is hoping to expand production and double its market share after receiving almost $2 million funding from the WA government. The grant is one of 11 awarded to businesses in the Southwest as part of the government's transition away from native forestry. Forestry Minister Jackie Jarvis says the grants will help diversify the state's economy. So this is really a new era for the Southwest where we're supporting a lot of businesses to actually expand and increase FTE across across the Southwest and the Great Southern. What does this mean? What's the impact going to be of this announcement? Look, so it means new jobs and it means a diversification of industries. So in WA, we're all about diversify WA. We've obviously transitioned from the unsustainable logging. So whilst um, it's been a, a, you know, a tough transition for some communities, in Manjum up here, we've supported a lot of new um, new development. The agriculture sector here in Manjum up has been here for a long, long time. They've grown potatoes here for a long, long time. 
What this means now is WA Chip, the only hot chip manufacturer here in WA, will actually be able to gain market share from producers on the East Coast and overseas. Uh, we might remember a few years ago there was a shortage of, of hot chips during COVID, um, brought on by a lot of things, some supply chain issues, but also flooding on the East Coast. Um, WA Chip uh, reckons they have about 15-20% of the market share currently. That's going to increase to about 40% uh, with the improvements here. So it's a win for local farmers, it's a win for local industry. There's going to be permanent jobs here. I think we're estimating about 12 new permanent jobs here in the management facility. Quarter to one on the country hour. That is WA Forestry Minister Jackie Jarvis announcing just shy of $10 million funding for 11 businesses across the southwest as part of the government's native forest transition plan. Bendotti Exporters, which trades under the label WA Chip, received just under $1.78 million. General Manager Stephen Bendotti says the grant will see a significant expansion of its operations. Well, what, what it'll do, uh, the grant is at one for one, so initially we will spend an upgrading of around $4 million um, between peeling, drying, frying, uh, palletising and dry storage. And so that's going to be a huge improvement for production? Yes, that'll give, uh, uh, allow us to, at the moment we're doing two shifts a day, uh, that will allow us to go to three shifts uh, for the week uh, to, to lift our production. Where are you sending chips right now? Well, our chips are all sold in WA. Will this grant look to other export opportunities? Uh, I would say no. Um, the local demand, um, everybody wants to buy Australian product, so that is the biggest uh, push towards increasing air production. Why do you think the government have gone for you guys for this grant? Uh, well, we local. Um, it's probably the main thing for this area. Um, different industries have declined in production, so we are increasing production. Yeah, obviously with the native logging ban coming in the 1st of January, that's taken a toll on local businesses. For you, how do you think you guys are going to benefit, I guess? Well, we've, benefited, we've, we've uh, taken uh, five, work, five workers from Parkside um, and that will, uh, we're going in the phase of training more staff so we can do the three, three shifts. So the overall production of WA CHIP, what's that going to look like in 2024 now? Well, this uh, this funding it'll take uh, to implement it'll take up to 12 months to put the machinery in place. Uh, we're hoping to go up probably 10 percent this year, and probably another 10, 15 percent next year once the equipment's in place. Yeah. So you mentioned some of the things that this money's going to go towards. Could you go into a bit more detail for me about that? Well, firstly, it's the scrubber uh, that would take the skin off the potato. Um, this one here is going to be more efficient. Uh, our drying, better drying of our product, a better frying. Um, we put in new heat, heat exchanger and a new packing equipment. But our biggest one is our dry storage uh, for long-term storage so the farmers could dig earlier before the winter and we can process longer because of the life of potato can last longer. Stephen Bendotti from WA Chip and he was speaking to Kate Forrester. 
and talking about the fact that he has received just under $1.78 million, a grant from the state government, which he'll match dollar for dollar, as he was just telling you, and uh, see some major expansion at his business. Um, Now, other grant recipients included Blue Sky Renewables in Albany, which received $2 million to develop a new seedling nursery. $2 million also went to Peninsula Downs in the Shire of Augusta Margaret River to establish a state-of-the-art dairy farm and $1 million to Cold Hold Cold Storage to increase capacity for its seed potato business. And those grants being announced today by the Forestry Minister, Jackie Jarvis. Obviously, this is all part of the government's transition away from native forestry. 11 minutes to one. Winemakers in the state southwest are gearing up for another vintage, which is expected to get underway a few weeks earlier than usual due to the warm conditions that started way back in October. Pippa Nielsen and her husband Mark own Vineyard 28 at Yarloop, 125 kilometres south of Perth. Pippa says the warmer than usual spring conditions have really set things in motion. It's not so much that we've had, ex- we have had some warm days, but and it's just been consistently warm and things are progressing along and growing well. So obviously weather is a, plays a really big role in your production. Does that affect your quality overall? It can. So obviously adverse weather events can affect quality. Uh, one of the great things about this season is having a warm, dry season means we've got basically no disease pressure. So we've got really clean, good quality fruit. Changes in weather can definitely affect sugar levels and different things that are going on. And that's what we monitor throughout the season to pick at the optimum. Talk to me a little bit about your vineyard here, Pippa, Vineyard 28. What sets it apart from other vineyards in this region? Been here 26 years, uh, 25 years in business and would be considered, I guess, pioneers in growing some old, what, we, what was known as alternative varieties. So we basically have um, primarily focused on growing northwest Italian varieties and some other Italian varieties that are really suited to the warming climates. Um, and to this region really well. So that sets us apart from some of our neighbours, although there is a fair bit of variety grown across the Geograph Wine region. So this region grows something like 20, I think it's 26, 36 different varieties. And whereas our southern neighbours, you know, some of them are more famously known for the Chardonnays and the Cabernets and the mainstream varieties. What gave you the confidence to look into growing alternative varieties like the Italian? (laughs) Uh, That's an interesting question. I don't know if it was confidence or just... um, a madness. Um, so look, we actually came from a, back, a totally non-wine background, but obviously a serious interest in wine. And uh, we used to pursue chasing different varieties as part of our pastime and our travels. Uh, when we settled and set, set this vineyard up, we established very quickly that we needed to be a little bit different. So we wanted to be small and we wanted to be niche, but we needed a point of difference. How many grapes are you producing each year? Our actual own individual crush is just around about mm, 30 to about just over 30-odd tonne, which is quite small. Um, but we also contract grow for some other producers, both in the Margaret River and in the Swan Valley region. A number of our Italian wines are actually exported to Singapore. So Pignoletto, uh, Arnais, Dolcetto, Nebbiolo all go to Singapore. You wear a lot of hats, Pippa. You're obviously the owner of this vineyard, but you are also the head of the APC Wine Producers Committee. How's the wine industry going as a whole down here? Uh, look, I think we're looking really, really good. Probably I think our hottest topic going forward will be, it's, it is about around resourcing and around staffing. So like everybody across 
I think the hospitality in the regional areas is getting enough workers to do the work that we would like to do. And I think the other one is uh, biosecurity, so looking after our grapes, looking after our land and, and our people. Owner and Director of Vineyard 28, Pippa Nielsen, speaking to Kate Forrester. Eight to one. In other wine industry news, the new chair of the Great Southern Wine Growers Association says in 2024 the industry will focus on domestic wine sales here in WA and interstate. The new chair is Tim Wisdom, who owns Plantagenet Wines at Mount Barker, 370 kilometres southeast of Perth. He's keen to start concentrating on wine sales a little closer to home. As part of any association, you go through cycles of strategic planning and we're just uh, embarking on refreshing our sort of five-year strategy as we speak. So we've certainly in the last two years focused a lot on the export markets through the Export Market Development Program, which has been run with uh, Wines of Western Australia and the state government, uh, which is a significant uh, program called WA Wines to the World. But uh, the focus quite clearly within the Western Australian industry is to refocus on domestic markets. So uh, there'll be a lot of strategic work that'll be done around how do we best face uh, our home market in Western Australia, but also how do we face the uh, significant uh, domestic market on the east coast of Australia. We've just come off a, a relatively incremental weather year. 2023 sort of went up and down. How did that go or how did it bode for the, the wine growers in the region? Is it something that they uh, found challenging or did they have a, a relatively strong and good season? It was an interesting season. Uh, it started off very late. Uh, it was a very cool and wet winter. Um, as the season progressed, uh, the weather was quite conducive. So some nice heat, nice fine days that uh, meant that the, the grapevine physiology caught up and, and we ended up having a, uh, an average harvest date. So um, what started behind caught up and, and the quality from all reports around the region is, is quite good. Um, above average. So that's, uh, that's helpful for us. One of the strengths of the Great Southern is that it is a very diverse uh, region for wine production. So you've got varieties all the way from Riesling through to Cabernet Sauvignon. So you've got a, a broad spectrum of varieties. And what that means is that uh, in any particular year, you have some varieties that do very well and others that do okay. And it's part of the beauty of, of I guess, producing in the Great Southern. Looking forward for the next 12 months, obviously you've got this new role with the council, but you also have your own vineyard to look to. What are the priorities or the, the areas of importance uh, for winemakers in the Great Southern? Uh, I think the, the Great Southern brand development is really important, trying to make sure that you know, as a, as a region we're very strongly represented uh, and we all work together to increase our market capacity and uh, and demand for our wines. I think everyone wins if we can you know work together on, on brand, Great Southern. From a Plantagenet point of view, uh, it's certainly thinking about uh, how do we sort of get better penetration into the East Coast, East Coast markets where West Australian wines are really well regarded. Uh, we do really well in terms of quality relative to our peers in Australia, being a fine wine state. But also how do we sort of you know, attack emerging and, and, and markets that might be reopening again. So the obvious one being China, which is uh, which represented a, a, a very large proportion of Australian exports before the, the trade tariffs came into place about um, three years ago. Obviously, that import or export into China is a, a big part of the industry. But back here at home, uh, the domestic market's facing a bit of a challenge due to cost of living pressures. Is that something that's rolling back onto producers and, and sellers that you've spoken to? Uh, look, it's a real problem for any retailer at the moment. Certainly, when you 
think about disposable income, you think about you know, rising interest rates and, and how much you know, money is left over for discretional items, wine very much falls into that category. So what we're seeing at the moment is it's a bit of a two-speed wine economy. Those that are, are, are wealthy and, and spend on expensive wines are not really affected that badly, but uh, those that may be slightly more discretional in their spending are, are probably trading down a little bit, so cheaper wines and perhaps even drinking a bit less at the moment. So that's that's real. We're seeing that across all markets. That's export and, and domestic. That's the new chair of the Great Southern Wine Growers Association, Tom Wisdom, and he was talking to Andrew Chounding and just saying that the, the refocus of sales is um, going to be on the domestic wine scene here in WA but also interstate, much more so than... Um, in the last couple of years where they've been really focusing on exports. They're not giving up on the exports, but just a re-sort of focus on the domestic market. Three minutes to one to the markets now. And numbers were down at the Catanning sheep sale today, just under 6,000 head yarded, down about 2,500 from last week. Tracy Kilner is there. Tracy, what were the prices like today? A much improved sale with a large gallery of buyers and onlookers. An additional land buyer pushed prices up with strong competition from both processors and feeder buyers on the prime lambs and forward stores. Feeder buyer competition saw the mid-range weight lambs up $18 to $25, while prime heavyweight lambs sold to $135 a head. Mutton gained as well, up $10, with a pen of extra heavyweight weathers reaching $70. Mature rams trended up $20 with demand, but Plain small frame sheep once again sold to minimal values with little interest from buyers. The lightweight lambs under 16 kilos carcass weight sold to $79 for crossbred lines, up to $74 for good frame merinos, and the plainer merino lamb sold from 25 to 30. Weights under 18 kilos carcass weight gained, selling from 70 to 112. Trade weights made from 88 to 125, and heavy weights returned 115 to $135 a head. Store ewes made from $1 to $28, medium weight sold from $30 to $48 and heavy weights over 30 kilos carcass weight returned from $36 to $50 a head. Heavy weight weathers made from $40 to $70 while mature rams gained $20 selling from $10 to $49 a head. This has been Tracy Kilner for Meat and Livestock Australia's National Livestock Reporting Service. Tracy, thank you so much for that. 5,935 head yarded at the Catanning Sheep Sale today and great to see a large gallery of buyers and onlookers. Uh, speaking of which, earlier in the hour you heard from the National Livestock Manager of one of Australia's largest sheep processors, Paul Leonard, who's from the South Australian-based company Thomas Foods. He's been over here in WA shopping around. He's already bought about 40,000 head of mostly mutton, but also some feeder lambs. And he's going to he's here today. He's coming back next week and the week after. At the end of it all, he could end up buying around about 70,000 head, mostly mutton. In response to that on the text, Clive Meriden says, how good to see East buyers over here. Our locals don't support us all year and think they are untouchable. They could have 12 months supply if they did it well. And until that happens, well done to Thomas Foods. Uh, Great to talk to you today. Let's do it all again tomorrow. I'll talk to you then. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.